Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, should you delete your delivery apps? How much would you pay for lab-grown meat? Where does your sweet tooth come from? And where to find cooking inspiration? How are you doing, Joshna? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, feels a little bit wild. Uh, I really noticed this week. So I think by this point, we're in week eight of our isolation. Been, yeah, two months, pretty much. Yeah, close to that. Uh, and I think at the beginning of this week, I realized that I had strangely gotten used to this weird circumstance. Oh. Right? Enough time has passed here. And I was like, oh, okay, I've settled in bizarrely to this uh and i'm and for me that's also about learning to ride the waves of good days and not so great days interesting uh, there are times right where i feel really swallowed up but i am now like oh no this is just part of this life is sometimes i feel really swallowed up for me it's the opposite i think until recently it just felt like life as usual because i do work from home and right. uh it is not unusual that i you know, stay in my pajamas all day and don't leave the house. Right, right, yeah. Uh, and I think the I'm really starting to miss the human connection and yes. seeing people that I care about. But uh, I'm delighted that the weather has warmed because I've found it's such a small thing. But I I open the windows, yeah, and there's something about hearing the birds sing and knowing that like they have no idea what's going on and they're it's totally. just life at usual for them and they're singing away and it. I don't know. It, it brings me a, a small amount of comfort. Hearing the sound of other people around or mm. just, you know, and, and it's obviously I live on a busy street and that traffic is not nearly what it used to be. Uh, but I'm with you on the opening the windows to be like, hey, hey out there, other people. Yeah. My, the familiar version of my life. Yeah. For me, it's totally. the it's the birds specifically, which is interesting because it's probably something that normally I would not even notice. But, yes. Um, but listen, people also tell me that they are more pronounced and that there's more of them, right? My friends who pay attention to this sort of thing say that in the, in the absence of us, that there are birds around that they've never seen in their backyards before and that there are sound, you know, all this sort of stuff is emerging. Interesting. And I'm sure the is, fact that there's less traffic is also uh, mm-hmm. augmenting how much I can hear them. But There it is. Um, uh, but here we are. We're getting through it, right? There's still cheerfulness. I delivered a bunch of food packages to pals today, and that always feels really nice for me. Excellent. And I've uh, yeah. I've crossed into baking. <laughs> hey! I remember you crossed out of baking a couple of weeks yes, ago. I, I just I think as it's probably you know just again this lack of human connection, just needing some kind of comfort food. Yes. So just, what did you make? I uh, started with a, a cake. Now we're into uh, Freon's and then uh, lined up next, I have uh, a chocolate chip banana bread, Come which on. I don't make too often because when I do, I eat the whole thing in one mm-hmm. sitting. Mm-hmm. But uh, yep. sometimes you yep. need to eat a whole chocolate chip banana bread in one sitting. Hey, man, the, this is where we are right now. It is. Speaking of where we are right now, uh, I wanted to talk about this anti-delivery app movement which uh, I think you and uh, and our listeners will not be surprised to hear that I was very excited Mm -hmm. about it just felt like people are noticing something that's been bothering me for a while and I think also the current situation with uh, the isolation has aggravated the situation Mm -hmm. but um, 
in these articles that I've been reading, they've been talking about how these apps have been really positioning themselves through these PR campaigns as, you know, saviors and friends of the restaurant industry. And they're there so that the restaurants can stay in business. Uh, And the meanwhile, on the back end, they are charging an incredible amount, 20 to 30%. I was reading also that in some cases, they're doing promotions. One promotion that they mentioned was $10 off any $30 order and then they're passing that on to the restaurant so the restaurant that gets a $30 order gets a 30% charge on that $30 plus another $10 taken away you know that's not really uh supporting the industry at that point they're really gouging them and from everything that I've seen, it's not because, you know, they need the extra money to make sure that their staff are stay safe or anything like that. They're just pocketing yeah, it. Well, that's the thing. And in the piece that you shared with me, there was uh, some response from, oh, because there was a lawsuit, right? Some smarty pants Americans decided to sue In New York. Yeah. Retroactively, right, to 2016, to April 2016, when these when this emerged. Um, and the only response they had was somebody from Uber Eats who made some mention of the fact that there are costs associated with this delivery. Yeah. Right. Uh, which was, a, I thought, a very flippant and dismissive response. Like, I don't think it's legitimate. Um, and there's just irritation that people are pushing back, I guess. Right. Yeah. So in the U.S., there was that class action lawsuit in New York. Uh, I also read that San Francisco, they passed a ruling that the apps can't charge more than 15 Yes. Percent, which the apps That's were right. really upset about. But I, I feel like in Canada, we're not so good at taking charge in that kind of way. We're really not. And and if I feel like it's the same that happened with Uber Maine, Uber proper and the taxi cab, you know what yeah. I mean? We this this this, this interruption. I mean, disruption, but that word sort of has connotations. Um, but this interruption uh, that has completely caused a ripple in an industry without anybody stopping to be like, is this actually the right thing? Do we all, you know what I mean? Just because you can and have does not necessarily mean you should. And I think this moment in time is really revealing uh, yeah. how actually how exploitative and, and a bit parasitic these apps are turning out to be, particularly when our restaurants are in such a desperate situation, right? They are. And the nerve that they're positioning themselves from a PR standpoint yes. as helping is, you know, just right? really speaks it's, to, you know, the core values of those companies. That's exactly it. Right? And what that's they're exactly about. That's exactly it. I don't like... To make flippant generalizations, but I I felt a bit of truth in that one piece that you shared that talked about the fact that the largely the folks behind these apps are tech folks with piles of money, um, who are who just found an interesting way to to meet a need, you know, an innovative yeah. way to meet a need, with zero commitment to hospitality or you know what I mean, any connection to the importance of connecting a city around food or any of those pieces. It's just like we. We can do this thing and uh, and we can make some money and there, there it is, right? Yeah. And, you know, it was a little bit depressing for me. Well, two things. First of all, that all these headlines in these articles were basically saying, don't do takeout. You know, mm-hmm. delete your takeout apps. And they were encouraging people to still go to restaurants, just uh, pick up in person. Right. But then juxtapose that with a statistic that I was not aware of, and I was shocked to read. Apparently, 52% of Canadians uh, 
are avoiding going to grocery stores because they perceive them as unsafe to visit. Right. And it's That's just... A, I'm surprised. That's surprisingly high. It's just fascinating to me because, uh, as we all know, I'm the opposite, right? I am yes, going to the yes. grocery store once every two weeks, and I feel like that's safer than, you know, having potential chain of contact every night with a bunch of people handling my food back and forth. Yes, But, yes. you know, I think... In these times, it's completely normal to have different reactions, and we don't know enough to know what is safest. So, right. Um, but I was delighted to see that a solution is emerging in this there is. new. Uh, there is. I think it's an app, or is it a website called Talk? It's it's uh, a website service. I think I don't think I haven't seen the app. I've I've encountered it only on the web. And this is what I've always felt would be the right solution, and so I'm glad mm-hmm. to see it happening. So this Talk company if i understand properly they used to just do reservations for hotel for not right. for hotels much like <laughs> for restaurants open table that kind or, of thing or yes and so now they've just created an online service where very much like these other apps you can uh, place your order online for delivery or for takeout they yep. charge only a very small amount and it's a fixed fee i think if memory like serves is, is that what it was 3%, yeah percent very low so, yeah. And then the restaurants take care of the delivery. You see, 3% makes sense as the cost to do business, right? right not but, 30%. Well, except right? it's, like a, the, it's a different cost because this, this organization is not paying the delivery people. Fair enough. Right? Okay. But They're to just, me, it's, it's still the, software, right? the better solution because it, it empowers the restaurants to figure out how they're going to handle their own delivery and so yep. on. And from my perspective, as you know, what's always bothered me is this third party person who's being treated horribly by their company handling my food with yep. like no uh, accountability to the restaurant or to anyone. That's, uh, that's not the kind of person that I want delivering my food. And we heard, you know, you, I don't know if you remember the episode, you know, people who eat with no pants, Jason was telling us, you know, yes, all yes. these horror stories about what happens yep. with these delivery people. So I feel this... It solves all those issues, and it solves the 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 core problem that these delivery apps were addressing, which is putting it all in one place, so that you right. don't have to call the individual restaurant. You can go in one place, see what's available, and then make your choice yep. from there. So, yep. uh, I, I, have I hope it does well. Oh, you have? Yeah. How was I've the experience? In fact, I used it to order myself a takeout Wednesday dinner. A couple of weeks ago. To support the restaurants. Nice. Uh, yes, for sure. My friend uh, Craig Wong at Patois is doing these beautiful family meals for Takeout Wednesday. Uh, so I got most delicious pile of food. But I bought it. I purchased through the talk service. And, and I, I actually was really quite impressed by how seamless it was. And the thing that I thought was interesting was that it really, like the tone of the messaging felt familiar. Felt like Craig and his team at Patois. Nice. Okay. Right. So there's something about the interface and it's the way more they personable. have it set up. It's more human. That lets the restaurant represent themselves better than Uber Eats or Skip the because Skip the Dishes you're talking to Skip the Dishes. Right. And you're talking to Uber Eats. So right? whereas yeah. Tell me, are you still paying through the service and tipping through yes. the service? Yes. So it oh so it really is just as convenient from a user it is perspective. Completely. Completely. Um, and I, I liked it better. I, w- I remember, be- I remember using it being like, no, this is how we do this. This makes much more sense to me. Right. I think, uh, we, you also mentioned, there's also some talk about how take the idea of takeout Wednesday is a problem mm-hmm. because it kind of will force us to congregate. 
uh, and collect when I actually I actually don't think it's a problem at all. Right. And I think that our, our restaurants really do need our support. Some people have been grumbling that uh, everyone ordering on the same day can cause too much stress on the restaurant. No, but, I, I don't yeah. believe it. We can figure out ways to pull this off. In fact, this past Wednesday, I ordered a burger from on a takeout Wednesday menu, and me and two friends each sat in our cars angled in a triangle so that we could have a nice group conversation while still staying safely apart eating nice. our burgers that we all ordered from the same spot, right? It works, uh, and let's not get down on stuff, and our restaurants really need our support. Uh, I keep yep. th- feel like I'm saying talk, T-A-L-K, but it's talk, T-O-C-K. Yeah, it's right. Uh, to me, that's what these delivery apps should have always been, and to see that that's where we seem to have landed, if that does well, then to mm-hmm. that's a clear sign of one big improvement that's great for the industry, Doesn't it's great for customers, and it's a solution that was necessary, but until we got to this cru- critical time, yes, it, it didn't pinch, happen, right. so it became a catalyst. So it gives me hope for other positive changes that can come. Here's a question, Joshna. Do you think you would, let's start with, would you eat lab-grown meat? Do you think? I would, I, I, no, a hundred percent. No, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've considered it. And I, uh, I was at a Ted talk and I heard this woman talk all about it and, uh, no, thanks. I will sooner just not eat any meat. I, I would try it just out of curiosity. Yes, I think you're right. I, just to get a mouthful of the thing, just to see but, what exactly is happening. But it's not a long-term strategy for me. Right. So I read this article and I, I didn't have to take a step back because I thought I knew in my mind, but I wanted to just refresh my memory. So th- what yes. they do with these lab-grown meats is they will grab a little bit of tissue from the animal, yes, an actual piece of tissue, and then they will uh, trigger whatever, you know, natural mechanisms our tissues have to rebuild. Like if you yep. cut yourself or if you hurt yourself, your your tissues will naturally rebuild. So they just uh, trigger this basically nonstop so that it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So the meat is actually grown from actual meat using a right. natural process, like tricking it. But bo- yeah, boy, is it a creepy concept. I just... We cannot go too far down the road with this notion that we can grow muscle in isolation from the rest of the body. Right. It is so weird. Right. When I, I remember when it, when it really hit the scene, there was this talk about how you're going to grow me a T-bone steak. And it's so smart because we're not going to have to deal with the messy rest of the cow. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, and I'm just the... Uh, the sustainability advocate inside of me is really five alarm about all of this. Alarm bells all around. So this is why this study was so surprising, the article that I sent you. And let us I just wanted to qualify by saying it's a very small study. It was just 200 participants. But okay. what they wanted to figure out is, A, would people eat lab-grown meat? And B, how much more would they pay for it? Right. And they, they sort of tricked these people a little bit. What they did is they grabbed two pieces of meat, real meat. What are we going to call it? Uh, actual um, meat. N- naturally grown meat. Yes. Yeah. And they labeled one as naturally grown and one as lab grown. Right. Put them in front of them. And then they gave them a talk about, you know, the benefits 
of this lab-grown meat, you know, no animal cruelty, less environmental impact, a little bit of information about how it's made, a pep talk on the quality and taste. And then they asked them to taste both, say which one they preferred, and uh, let them know how much more they might or might not pay for the lab-grown meat. And so the first thing is everyone was happy to try the lab-grown meat, which is Mm -hmm. already surprising. I feel like there's a portion of the population normally that would be off-put by that. Um, The second piece that was surprising is they all, pretty much across the board, felt that the cultured meat tasted better. I'm surprised. Even though it was the same meat, right? What they were tasting was the same. They were both real meat. Right. It was like basically two pieces of the same burger. Okay. But in their mind, it projected some positivity on that. And the real shocker is that 60% said they would definitely pay more. And on average, they said they would pay 40% more for this culture. That is shocking. Uh, It really is. I don't understand it at all, actually. That's very surprising. Uh, and I, I when I when uh, you sent this through and I was reading and I was considering it, I was trying to figure out what the angle is on this, right? Because it is very difficult to get people to pull more money out of their pockets for their food than they are currently spending. Well, that's the thing. The I'm prices are artificially low, right? Right. Trying to fig, trying to get people to to be willing to invest more for better food. Um, and I'm having, it's a hard sell with my local organic blah, blah, blah. But it is extraordinary for me to see that lab-grown meat can so instantly command uh, you know, an offer of a 30% premium, even from a small population. That is shocking. It really is. And I think, on, you know, on one hand, it might be a, a lot easier maybe for people to conceptualize that this work in a lab is labor-intensive and probably takes a lot of time and resources which maybe for some people is a bit more of an abstract concept when it comes to something like organic. But isn't that just, I mean, that's got to be connected to the the devaluing of what a farmer is doing. Right. Right. I I can't confidently say that what's happening in a lab is more sophisticated or complicated than what a farmer does. Not, not with confidence, but I think in people's minds, maybe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I would love to know. I would. I would actually love if there's a listener out there who really is a is a huge advocate for this lab uh, raised meat. I would love to know what the what the the inspiration is uh, to consider paying that kind of premium on this meat. Yeah, because you know, back to your point. As much as it is made from real meat and using natural mechanisms, you know, the rest of what that animal is doing while it's growing that meat, what it's eating, its exercise, all that is going to impact. And what's the, the quality and the of nutrients? Lab raised meat? And, exactly. <laughs> Joshna, do you have a sweet tooth? I do. I really mm. do. Oh man. Uh, and it's it's but it's like cookies. Cookies right? specifically. It's cookies. Yeah, I I'm not it's not about hard candy or any of that super sugariness. Right. But but like dessert baked sweet things, oh ice Lord. cream. Yes, yes, definitely. That's, that's interesting because I don't have a sweet tooth, but I I do have a soft spot for sugar candy. Oh really? But, interesting. But the tart one, if it you know like okay those those tart ones. Anyway, uh, I asked because this new study came out from Australia that may explain why some people have more of a sweet tooth than others. Uh-huh. 
And uh, before we dive in, this study was done on fruit flies. So it wasn't done on, right. on humans, but the, the mechanisms involved, you know, the, right, what was happening the within their, the, the their, fruit their, flies, their magical tongue, yeah. Uh, it translates to humans. So okay. it, is a, it is plausible that it'll transfer over. And I guess that that's the next step in their, in their uh, research. This is in Australia, I believe, in Sydney. But what they noticed, and I think this is really, in a way, interesting, but in a way, kind of really made sense to me, is that uh, our sensitivity to sweetness is really based on how much sweet things we usually eat. Yes. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about it for sweetness, but certainly with salt, I have noticed that I I tend to salt things quite a bit. and. Okay. So, you know, sometimes I'll eat with someone else and they will think something is too salty. Whereas to me, it's mm. a normal amount of it's salt. It's just fine. Because my threshold right. has... like a, so, a calibration, right. So, so what's interesting though, is that what they figured out with this study is that it's a, a learning mechanism. So very much like you can learn something and your brain will learn it and internalize it or, you know, muscle memory. If you repeat something mm. many times, your your body will or your arm or your leg will automatically make that movement without you even having to think about it, is the same kind of mechanism. So your tongue, having experienced a lot of sweetness, will then adapt to it. Right. And uh, have uh, taste it less. So you need more in order to actually taste that sweetness. It is, I, that really resonated with me because there was a time where I very strictly gave up all sweet things. Mm -hmm. In my first forays into traditional Chinese medicine, one of the directors was all sweet things were out. Oh, wow. And so for a good six months, I was very diligent about this uh, and great. And I had occasional honey maple syrup, but really very minimal. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was somewhere, like I think it was like on a plane or something like that, and I took a sip of ginger ale. And it tasted like I was drinking syrup. Wow. Right? And, Whereas and normally you wouldn't. I would previously have happily taken down a can of ginger ale. But because I had spent six months without any sweetness, really any sweetness, this and it's like it's like the high fructose corn syrup that's in there. Right. It's the like, yeah, that crank, that fully cranked sweetness that's in there. And it was like two sips and I needed like a cup full of ice to start diluting. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I could not bear it. Right. But but then I also think about we think about like kids at Halloween or the holidays and things like that. Right. When they are these crazy maniacs who've taken down so much sweetness mm -hmm. that their that their thresholds don't even exist anymore. It's just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Nothing is too sweet and and they're happily chomping it all down. Right. Well, yeah. I think there might be a bit of a like a an external factor of excitement there around the day yes. and around yes. uh, you know, the sugar rush <laughs> and the lack of control. But yeah, it's interesting cuz you mentioned the the was it 2 months you were off? Six months. Six. It was a good. It was that's six impressive, months. Josh. No? I did it. That's, yeah, that's six a months. lot of self control. It um, was serious. But according yeah. to this study, it can take as little as three days. So yeah, yeah if you go on, uh, you know, for three days with very a lot less sugar, then it'll impact how you taste sugar. Well, it so also it's a makes pretty sense fast because that that uh, that idea of needing to consume more to have a similar response or reaction is uh, addiction right right that's that's the de that's the definition of how we understand addiction that you need to keep taking more and more increased amounts of a thing to give you that same balanced experience um which makes sense because i think that 
I think that sugar plays that role for people. Yeah, and it, right? yeah, it's interesting because I believe these people who conducted this study had previously been looking at food addictions. And okay. so that I think this is a small piece of that. So that's uh, an interesting that you made that connection. Yeah, there's something there, right? I thought. And, and what I pulled out that I, I thought was really interesting was this one line that says, this really highlights how learning is a whole body phenomenon. Yeah. And that this was a complete surprise to us. Yeah. Right? I love Because you, you generally so, think right? of learning with your brain. That's it. When it's, it's about the habits of your body are now informing, uh, right, what, how your brain is understanding its experience of a thing. Which, on one hand, you're like, yeah, big surprise. But we don't actually really think about that. Right? Yeah. We don't consider it in a really thoughtful way. And that, I really enjoyed that bit, that reminder uh, about the fact that we are, in fact, a whole ecosystem. All right, uh, Mirella, I was very excited about this article that you sent about YouTube cooking channels. I know, um, especially in the light of uh, the February episode that we did, the no hack will save you when we were talking right. about all these horrible YouTube show uh, cooking shows that are showing hacks that don't work. And yep. the fact that those were by far outperforming shows where they actually teach you how to cook. Yes, exactly. was really depressing. That was real, and it's, it it forecasted a really grim future. I thought, yeah, right. Uh, but uh, things have changed, and it's very what we're seeing, especially with everybody back in their homes and home cooking, having the glorious resurgence that we're seeing. Uh, the the need for actual instructional food video has really surged, and and the list you sent, I was delighted to know that I am fans of every single one. That's interesting. Uh, I, I had mixed feelings. Um, although uh, binging with Babish, I don't pay much attention to, uh, -huh. uh, and I don't do a lot of drinking. So the cocktail thing, but Mangchi, the, the Korean woman is like, she's deep in my heart, man. She's amazing. Okay. So you mentioned Mangchi and I think that's a yeah. great place to start because okay. this is as far as I can tell, just a woman in her kitchen sharing the recipes that she likes to cook. Yes. And I had, when I saw this article, I had assumed that that's what this list would be. And it, it really wasn't. It was many other things. Yes. And I felt uh, some of these sites were more useful than others. So the, the Bon Appetit and the Binging with Babish, I thought were interesting because they yep. had a mix of very useful videos. And then, you know, videos that are clearly meant more to watch than... To yes. cook along with, like, for Absolutely. example, that woman on Bon Appetit who recreates candy. Oh, I love it. It's so uh, great. That's not for me. but oh, The dork inside of me. I love watching her go through all of it. It's wonderful. But then when you find, when you, you, I found the actual cooking how-to videos on both yep. those channels, they were fantastic, easy to follow. Yep. Um, and they're really thoughtful folks in those kitchens. Yeah. And right? then the... Really, yeah, fun experiments. And, and sharing... I guess what I really like about Mang Chi and what I felt, I think was captured more in the Bon Appetit than the binging with Babish was people just people sharing recipes they're passionate about. It wasn't, yes. uh, it wasn't, you know, just a arbitrary assortment of, okay, I need to make sure I have a good selection of foods that I'm presenting or, um, I, it really seemed to come from a, like a, these are recipes that I like to cook kind of place. 
Yes. Uh, uh, and, and, and curiously, Mang Chi is the only one who is also, she very clearly is teaching non-Korean people to cook Korean food. Right? Yeah, her, I, her tone. Okay. Right? The way, the way she, I've watched many, many, many of those videos. And she's, she's always like, let me make this easy for you. This ah. is going to be, this is my favorite thing. This is going to be, this is the thing my mama used to make for me when I came home from school. And you're like, yes, tell me everything, Mangchi. Yeah. Uh, I'm not Korean, really, so I guess I'm her target audience. I didn't really notice that nuance. It's really, uh, really great. Uh, and she, uh, her recipes turn out. I've made many, many of them and they are good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super helpful. Um, the New York Times stuff is also pretty great. Yeah. Uh, right. They, they go deep. Um, some of it was a little, again, it was that mix though, like the other two of some very elaborate, crazy things and yep. then some more at home relatable things. Yep. The one that I really didn't understand why it was on the list was the tasty, the Buzzfeed. Oh, it just yeah. seemed like, cha- you know, a bunch of people issuing challenges, Oh no, no no no! Have you not? You don't know about the tasty videos? I I went through and I think I watched six or seven of them, and right. um, it was all like just challenging people with one ingredient or challenging people with this. Oh, or who can do? I didn't oh, find I have actually any never seen how any. to. Oh, so there oh, so, is some okay. how-to on that Oh, yeah, I've actually website. never seen any of those challenges there. All okay. I've ever seen about Tasty Videos is what they've really brought to the table is that that camera from above the workstation mm-hmm. it, with various forms of elapsed time putting a recipe together, right? They're not actually telling you how much of that you need. They're just, and then you can look on the website to actually get the recipe. But the right, contribution so that Tasty has yeah. made, but that approach, I understand for you, it may not be really that valuable. But for people who are extremely intimidated by the kitchen, it has been a beautiful way to lure people in. Interesting. Those, those tasty videos have been very effective ways for people to see that and be like, I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. I can, you know what I mean? More than looking at a photo and reading a list of ingredients and instructions. So I believe Tasty's contribution has been the visualizing of a process that is really quick and easy and doable. Interesting. Whereas for me, the fast forwardy video and then the instructions on the website signals less it's doable than someone just like talking to me while they're cooking it. And next thing I know, it's done. And they've prepared it in front of me that I don't know. It's just temperamentally, I guess. But I'm I'm glad you mentioned that that difference, because that's clearly a temperamental thing. Yes, Uh, I think it's it's a way you want to learn, I think, is the thing. Right. And I, I I was delighted that they included the Steve, the bartender website on there with the the cocktail recipes because yes by all accounts people are uh, finding a little bit more time to prepare and consume beverages at home in this time of isolation right no one's going out and um i just found him so approachable i really loved he did this one segment that was quarantine related. And what he did was he just put out a call to people saying what's in your house right now, had them all reply oh, and then made the short list of the most commonly, the, the spirits and things that people most commonly had around and then okay. mixed various cocktails with that very limited list of ingredients. Oh, I love that. That's thoughtful. That's he, he cheated a little bit. You know, he added things like soda water, which is, I think, something that an average person probably does. a bartender will definitely have that kicking around. I don't know if the average person has soda water kicking around, but I like I the think spirit the average of it. Drinker would, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think? 
you have the soda average water? person who drinks yeah. cocktails? Yeah, I have soda right. water. Um, but I, I love that that was included in there, and uh, I liked his tone. I just overall excited to see websites that actually teach people how to cook some real education about food and drink this is what we need to see right i was very encouraged by all of that could be yet another positive spin of this time of isolation that's it if you're enjoying our podcast please support us at patreon.com slash hot plate pod hot plate is part of the frequency podcast network please consider leaving us a rating or review it helps others find us you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HotPlatePod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.